What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Renegade Marquee on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. Joining me, as always, is the streaming demon, Jacob. What's up, y'all? We've got Hayden. Howdy. And we've got the package deal of Josh and Crystal. Yeah. <laughs> and today's episode is um, going to be something. We are talking about Clint Eastwood's new movie, Cry Macho, um, and two Amazon musicals of varying qualities. We've got Cinderella. <laughs> and we have Everybody's Talking About Jamie. So we're not going to spend too much time on the Eastwood film. And I'll kind of get into why in a second. Um, but this is Cry Macho, a neo-Western a neo drama directed, produced, and starring Clint Eastwood, based on the novel of the same name by N. Richard Nash and adapted for the screen by Nash and um, Nick Shank. So the film follows Mike Milo, a one-time rodeo star and washed-up horse breeder who, in 1978, takes a job from an ex-boss to bring the man's young son home and away from his alcoholic mom. Crossing rural Mexico on their way back to Texas, the unlikely pair faces an unexpected, unexpectedly challenging journey during which the world-weary horseman may find his own sense of redemption through teaching the boy what it means to be a good man. Um, honestly, I... I like this movie just fine. It's it's Clint Eastwood doing Clint Eastwood. There's nothing really new that that he brings to the table because um, this is the kind of this is the same sort of like old man redemption story he's told at least five different times since Unforgiven. But the 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 stuff that I did like were the quieter moments when it was really just him, him and the boy uh, talking to each other, driving around and just kind of hanging out in that cantina. But yeah. other than, other than that, that's honestly about all I have to say that I haven't already in my quick thoughts. Um, Josh, you just, you just saw this movie today. Um, what are your thoughts on this one? My honest opinion is that it's fine. Like it's the most, it's the most fine, okay movie I think I've ever seen. And I'm not saying this as an inherently negative thing. I, I would talk more about where this stands in terms of like Clint Eastwood's legacy is like a Western star as well as a legendary Hollywood icon. But I'm going to be real with you guys. I've only seen a handful of Clint Eastwood movies, that being the good, the bad and the ugly and Gran Torino when I was like 10. So this was just in all honesty, it was a really nice breezy watch but nothing about it particularly engaged me, save for Ben Davis's cinematography. Yes. Like, it, mm. it's really cool seeing Ben Davis outside of the MCU because somehow he works with really great directors. 
like 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 Martin McDonough or or I or Clint Eastwood and he's able to do some really good quiet almost naturalistic like cinematography but then you go to that and it's like oh he knows how to work his way around computers in all honesty like if there's anything that I think kind of holds the movie back it's the fact that they have to well okay it's kind of twofold for me and it's the fact that the movie moves at such a snail's pace once he grabs the boy and they try to artificially create conflict with his mom which that that scene i think it's meant to be kind of icky but it also comes across as like very out of nowhere and when you consider that clint eastwood literally looks like a fucking fossil it's kind of weird when she tries to come on to him yeah it was like it's it's so weird and jarring and it's like this feels like it was written for a character in their 60s i'm pretty i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure um his character is supposed to be at least at least 20 or 30 years younger than eastwood is um in real life it holds it back because there's like points where they try to add some action and it reminds me of that terrible shot in the Irishman where you're supposed oh. to see that Robert De Niro. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but it just looks like an elderly person that's just like throwing a tantrum because they don't have like the pudding in the cafeteria. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm not explicitly talking about the movie, but that's just... In all honesty, I was just thinking this is a fine one and done movie and there's really nothing memorable about it. Even I literally I don't remember Gran Torino that much, but this basically just viewed to me as a more generic version of Gran Torino. I I knew what I was in for in terms of story literally from the opening scene. You know what I'm talking about, Mike? Yeah, yeah. Like they, the movie's not subtle, except for when it tries to get into talks about, you know, that like masculinity, which I think works given Eastwood's a legacy as being a very grizzled anti-hero man, especially from what I see of the Dirty Harry movies and stuff like that. And I, I want to like the idea of a guy literally deconstructing a, a creator deconstructing his own mythos or deconstructing his own legacy or something like that like what like like what Sylvester Stallone does with Rocky and Creed I think the, but, pro- the problem though is you know that sounds like a very fresh idea if Eastwood hasn't already done it like you know yeah he, he's, he's, he's done the different. same movie a couple a couple different times and even with the same writer too it's the it's the lead, it's the worst version of Gran Torino I think I've seen and I don't remember enjoying Gran Torino but then again I was 10 so yeah this, I, there's a good chance that movie might hold up better um, when viewed through an adult lens possibly but like this movie I remember 
I just checked out for a while. I like the chemistry between him and the the owner of the cantina, or like she worked there, I think. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Th- that says something. I don't even remember a lot of the a lot of the story or the characters. I just remember there's a there's a chase sequence out of nowhere, and then it ends. Yeah, like I, I didn't I didn't watch this movie, but this seriously gives me vibes of like your dad calling you up and telling you about this movie that and he really really likes it and he really overhypes it and you watch it and it's really disappointing and then when you call him back and he's like hey, did you like it did you like it and you're like uh, yeah i liked it and you feel bad for hating it it, it is very much a dad movie yeah uh, um can we talk about the real star of this movie though macho the chicken no it's, the- not, it's not a chicken it's a rooster the the rooster was the best part, yeah. Like, and you you gotta love the line. Uh, I don't care. The guy wants to name his cock Macho. That's fine with me. Like that. That's <laughs> that, that's they, a, they knew what they were doing with that line. That, that's a genuinely good moment, and that that's the one time I feel like a real sense of personality. That that is perfect. I honestly um, think this movie would have worked better if they didn't try to have a plot. Like if this was just if this was just a hangout movie, like if this was if this was Link Letter directing Eastwood, um it might it might have worked better. Or or even James Mangold. Yeah. Um yeah, that you do kind of give a Logan vibe with this. Um I, I gotta say, just to throw my two cents in, um, I liked this movie just fine. I, I really did. Um, <laughs> it's too modest. It's too humble not to enjoy, even though it never takes you in any real unexpected direction. You know, um, it just it just cruises along, and it's it is a nice movie, is what I put. It's like a nice. Sunday afternoon kind of watch for me, really. Um, that's really all I have to say about it. Clint Eastwood's good. You know, the directing is nice. I'm glad that, like, any movie like this, like, like he has to, he kind of feels like he has no choice but to make movies like this, I think, because he's getting up there. You know, he, he's 91 even. Um, um, uh, to add to your point, Josh, there is that unintentionally funny line where he throws a punch at someone. And they're like, did oh my god, you're, real- you're fast for an old man. Yeah. Did, did that look real to anyone, that punch? It did not. It, even watching the trailers, I was thinking, oh god, please tell me that it works better in the film, and it doesn't. Okay. Um, but I, I think the worst thing about the movie, in all honesty... It's kind of the marketing around it, if that makes sense. Um, elaborate. Because, okay, I, I, I saw this on HBO Max, and I saw it, like, on YouTube, even. Like, they're really trying to this up as, like, you, you know, Clint Eastwood going on for five decades of film and everything. And they have everybody comparing this movie, viewing it as like a landmark moment in his long, illustrious career. They're really trying to hype it up like this is this is the important touchstone where he finally confronts 
everything that he's done in his career, everything he's done in his life. This is the culmination of all 50 decades, like all five decades of his work. Like that's, that's what the only thing I've seen of the movie, aside from the trailer, everybody hyping up just what this means. And again, it just, if imagine all this buildup for a Richard Linklater movie, which I mean, yeah, it's a very easy breezy movie and that's its charm, but really, I I don't know. Maybe I'm not making sense, but it just, it. Yeah. It's it's not ambitious enough is what you're saying. Yeah. Especially because I don't think Eastwood's a bad director. I don't know. I think sniper, but I at least understand that in that movie, he had an idea. I just think like he holds himself back ironically with his old Hollywood sensibilities. Mm, yeah, I can I can kind of sense sense that. Hayden, uh, I know you weren't into this, but did what we say, did that just what what do you make of our comments? Yeah, um I can't honestly say that my mind is changed. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I figured that'd be the case. I probably still won't. I'm I'm sure it's fine. I'm just prob- not really probably ever going to watch this. Yeah. Honestly, this movie, it's just too meh to really get upset about. You know, there is a certain appeal beneath the surface. And I, I think all of his movies, um, whether he stars them enough or not, they do sit around a rugged individual type of character. Like, that that's permeated throughout his, his past few movies, like Richard Jewell. And there was this one movie I did see in the I saw Richard I saw Richard Jewell for free at my local theater just because, you know, I got a reward. It was a, a reward thing in my celebration cinema. So I got to see that movie for free. I mainly saw it just because I want to see Kathy Bates' performance because she was nominated. Huh. And, I, I um, actually think Richard Jewell might be one of the better films of his of his later some, years yeah although that movie is pretty controversial for a good reason Naturally. because of, yeah of, of something having to do with a female journalist um and people who knew are like the the actual person they were offended by how they depicted her in that so that's totally understandable um another one i saw that i barely remembered was sully the one where Tom Hanks played the guy who landed that plane in the Hudson River. Yep. Wait, that wasn't Richard Robert Zemeckis? No, no it wasn't. That that was the was flight with Denzel Washington. Oh my God. That was the one where Denzel Washington played an alcoholic pilot. I think it's just more telling, again, that this is about cry macho. But we're talking about everything around it rather than it itself. Yeah. But like again, it does it does have an appeal to it, you know. I guess it's like it is very much a dad movie, you know. It's something you can enjoy watching with your dad, I guess. Just don't expect anything groundbreaking from it. I guess I guess um, if I had to recommend some better Eastwood films, um, I I would I would include films like Sully and Richard Jewell. Um, I would include um, 
probably my favorite of his um mystic river with kept with kevin bacon mm. um that like that's that's just one of those like just rock solid uh cold crime thrillers that um that that's the one that where that's the one where Sean Penn shouts, "Is that my daughter in there?" That movie. I think so. Yeah, it, it's yeah, okay. it's been a minute since I've seen it, but still one I highly recommend. May go on. And then the the last one is obviously Unforgiven. I don't yeah. I don't think he's ever directed a better like um, Western deconstruction than than that. All right. I still need to see it. Um, that's a good one. I I I have seen it, but it's been ages. I need to watch it again. Yeah, one one of these days I'll go through. I'll probably go through like a big uh, Eastwood um, marathon. But yeah. that more more on that another day. Are you guys ready to talk about Cinderella? Oh God. Okay. Let me let me okay, let me know. ease us into it first. Um, so. This is a this is a musical, um, directed by Kay Cannon of Pitch Perfect fame, um, and stars um, Camila Cabello as our titular um, Cinderella. She is a orphan girl with an evil, and I use that term loosely, stepmother who has big dreams with the help of her fabulous godmother, she perseveres to make them come true. Um, Josh, I'm going to go to you last um, because I know you and Crystal have notes, to say the least. Hayden, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, your thoughts on Cinderella. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So... I wanted to be, when I first heard about this movie, I wanted to give it benefit of the doubt. I enjoyed um, the work of Kay Cannon in the past, like Pitch Perfect and Blockers. I, I thought those were perfectly solid, well done, fun movies. And I really liked uh, the idea of casting Billy Porter and Adina Menzel and, and those I had, I thought were pretty fun choices. And then uh, more and more began coming out about the movie. And I had to come to grips to me realizing that I think movies were maybe a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Um. I, I, I just want to bring up how this movie, the main reason I was really looking forward to it was um, Billy Porter. And right after introducing Billy Porter, they um, really bring out James Corden like three minutes later as if to just taunt me. <laughs> it's that, that kind of thing. And that was just cruel. And I, I was not, I did not like that very much. Thank you. <laughs> More on that later. Um, 
Any anything else before I pass off, Jacob? Um. Okay. So, um, we should mention that Cinderella was supposed to be shown in theaters before the pandemic. Um, uh, it was moved to Amazon from Sony. And what's very telling is that it starts. You know how uh, you guys know how now these days the Sony movies they start with the Sony logo makes that ding noise and then they, and then they go through the Columbia logo or the TriStar logo nowadays. Yeah. Hmm. Well, this time it went to the Sony Pictures logo. Hmm. A real mar- a real uh, market quality. Yeah. The thing is, like Columbia, I know. I think it was Columbia that made this, and they didn't want their name on it. Oh my god! Okay, I, don't, I, don't, so, I do not blame them. No, I don't. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's bad. Okay, Cinderella, it's really bad. You no, know, um, it's what? No, we, no, Hayden. Yeah, I'm just saying. Before we get into tearing this thing apart, I will say some of the things that I actually thought were fine i thought that the sets and the color schemes overall i thought they were fine i thought those looked pretty nice overall really i thought it looked perfectly fine and like colorful and what it wanted however i think it conflicted with i don't i have a theory that these were costumes that were for a completely different movie that were like that was like going to be some more like some historical thing and then they just said okay we're making Cinderella and we're making it a jukebox musical yeah I, I kind of see it just whoever was in charge of the costume design ugh, I'm sorry okay it was it was garbage everything about this movie is garbage we'll get to okay you. hold on we're not we're not ready yet Okay. I I gotta ask though, um, Hayden, how can you say such mean things about James Corden, your co-star in the prom? <laughs> That's a very good question. Yeah. Moving on. Okay. Um. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I I didn't mean to rub it into your face there, Hayden, but um, yeah, this movie it's. The best way to describe this movie is remember those hip fairy tale movies from the two thousands, like Cinderella Story with Hilary Duff. And I, are you dissing a Cinderella story in this household? <laughs> because I will not tolerate that. There's also story um, is a masterpiece. No, I, I, I will not hear otherwise. There was also um, Ella Enchanted. Remember that one, guys? Oh, Which you're not. You're you're not about to drag. The other Cinderella film. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Enchanted already ruined the original book it was based on. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just saying Cinderella, this movie was the backwash of that genre, I think. Okay, carry on. Okay. Um, it's, it's bad, okay. Um, the only things that made this movie close to being freaking unwatchable were the musical numbers and James Corden. Um, but overall, like it was bad, but it was, to me, it was more of a shrug of the shoulders type of bad. Just ugh. like, it was just, 
it was really those two things that repelled me from ever giving this another watch. But if you take all those out of the equation, this is just such a cheap, generic, just completely just annoying watch. You know, it's nothing. It's nothing to remember. It's just, it's just that. It's just such a black movie to me. It was just black. That's that's the best way for me to sum it up. It's just black. <laughs> yeah. All right. Before before I go to to Josh and Crystal, I'll 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 give my general thoughts, which are pretty quick. Yeah, it's bad, but I will I will give this movie some credit. Um. I think, I I think, um, well, while the character itself is very um, out of character, I did like the, you know, the few times that Adina Menzel got to belt it out. Um, Billy Porter, um, for the, like, the five minutes we get to see him on screen was just delightful and he 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 is always the bright spot of any bad movie he somehow finds himself in um and the guy on the page at least um this version of the prince is probably one of the more interesting versions compared to frankly any other version of uh the story um but really other than that it's it's like they made every wrong decision for how to tell um this how to adapt one of the greatest fairy tales of all time um and the blame is 100 percent at the feet of james corden so, Josh, you have the floor. Okay, I'm going to go real quick, Crystal. As... Hold on to your butts. I'm going to go as quick as I can because Crystal is even more pissed than I am. First of all, if you want to know, like, my my 100%, like, even, like, slightly filtered but still complete thoughts on it, I recommend going to the website right now and reading my review. It's probably the lengthiest thing I've written for the site. And quite frankly, I think it deserves a Hugo award or something. It, 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 is, um, it is a masterpiece, your review. And um, see, I want to give Corden a compliment sandwich real quick. I want to say something positive before, I want to say something negative before I lead to something that I, that I personally disagree with you with that, Michael, that, it can be 100% at his, his fault. He, okay. did, he did conceptualize the thing, but to do the negative thing first, I'm not about to say that James Corden is a nice guy though, just because I feel, especially considering everything surrounding it and the persona that he's built up and everything, I wanna point out just real quick, since we are about to get into a big strike in Hollywood, I want to point out that apparently there was a point back in before the COVID times where they there was a the Writers Guild of America meeting and James Corden showed up 
without any of his staffers to advocate for a lower pay grade for new late night writers. And he did this so he could hire writer assistants for 13 week periods and not have to pay them as much. And he tried to, he tried to backpedal this. You might be wondering why I'm bringing this up. Again, compliment sandwich. He tries to backpedal it by saying, trying to help is disappointing to me to say the least. I would never, ever want to pay a writer less than they deserve. Never. I love every writer on my show. And all I ever wanted from that meeting was to explore whether talented people could get a better opportunity to where someone who was in that meeting said, James, you showed up to your to a guild meeting as an employer flanked by your executive producer to advocate for the show's interests to pay writers less. If you want to give young, talented writers a shot, you can pay them the guild minimum. It was offensive that you showed up to the meeting not to listen, but to speak first to advocate for a lower pay grade for writers. That's what you did. Well-intentioned or not, I still think not, you showed up to a guild meeting to advocate for lower pay for late night writers. What I say was accurate. All this to say, and I'm gonna bring up his night show in just a little bit, but as terrible as I think he is in terms of how he treats the people around him. I am going to say that while he did conceptualize the film, he still understands Cinderella better than Kay Cannon does. While, while, while you say that James Corden is to blame for it, she's the sole writer at the end of the day. And I read interviews where she said like, you gotta give me this thing or I'm quitting. And everybody was like, okay, yeah. Because how he conceptualized it, it was opening on the kingdom and then we go from the kingdom to a basement. And from the basement, we rest on Cinderella as she wakes up and bursts into a song. In particular, Nine to Five by Dolly Parton. You know what? Credit, credit where credit is due. That, that would have been so much better than what we got. And Kay Cannon's reason for not doing that is because in her words, we're not about to put an Oscar nominated, an Oscar winning song in our movie because that's just inviting criticism. As if the fucking criticism (laughs) isn't already levied by this fact. And I can't believe I didn't mention this in my review. Crystal was the one that brought it up when we watched it yesterday. I I sat through this piece of shit twice while I was writing my fucking review. (laughs) Crystal literally had me stop it less than a minute in, or less than two minutes in, right after the god-awful intro. (laughs) You guys notice? You you point it out real quick. You say it, because I- Which one? What are you talking about? There's so much. Oh, oh, oh. You point this out first. Oh! And then I'll plow through my- Guys, guys, oh my god. Just this fact alone. What chores do we see Cinderella doing? Um, she's making tea. That's it. She makes oh. tea like once. And the-, and the other times that we see chores being done are by the fucking evil stepmother and the stepsisters twice, not once. <laughs> Twice. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back in because I'm gonna give you the floor real soon because you've got a lot to say. So, 
I levy a lot of this at Kay Cannon because personally reading everything that I could about her intention, because I like to see, I like to look deeper in what an artist is trying to say with their films. And the fact that she admits that she never liked Cinderella and saw it as just women being mean to each other. That's a huge red flag. And I like, I like Kate Cannon. So that it, her, her comments hurt so much more um, because I've liked her previous work. Her, her comments hurt me slightly less, but on the same level, I want to think because I already wasn't a fan of Kay Cannon just because I was forced to sit through Pitch Perfect in high school. It was one of those movies that they would put on like, all right, it's the end of the year. The We don't have any homework fucking, let's put on, let's put it to a vote. Who wants to watch Fast Six or, or Pitch Perfect and Pitch Perfect won by a slim margin. <laughs> but even, even taking my personal bias away from it, I think back to like criticisms that people have of certain comic book movies where they say they're ashamed to be comic book movies. This is what you get like with stuff like Galactus being a cloud or something like that, or all of X-Men Origins Wolverine. But I have never felt that with a fairy tale story, except for this one. The whole film feels like it's ashamed to be associated with Cinderella. It is loud. It's frustrating, it's annoying, and it's paradoxically cheap and expensive looking at the same time. I said in my review that, uh, uh, um, you, you know, this, uh, this uh, film looks cheap and expensive at the same time, kind of like James Corden's late night show. That's the callback. That, that, that justified me mentioning the W, the Writers Guild stuff. <laughs> But even then, I was, I literally sent you guys a message after watching the movie, like, holy shit, Henry Braham shot the movie? That is not his. That, that, that can't be. While watching it. I looked on, on Wikipedia, I found out he shot Mo the Maleficent sequel, which makes sense because I didn't remember a lot of it, but I remembered how crazy some of the shots look. Mm -hmm. Watching, knowing that he did this watching it a second time i can practically see james corden holding him at gunpoint focus on the mice darling speaking of <laughs> the fucking special effects oh, and then oh my god the, the last thing that i i will say at least for this I really want to go into it like even more, but I, I know Crystal has a lot to say and I already went into it a lot in my, in my review. This is, it's already hard for me to get into a jukebox musical because personally speaking, I think they're kind of lazy and you have to do something very, very special to make them interesting. Like something like Moulin Rouge or something like Rocket Man, where it's just wanted to be Moulin Rouge so bad. You wanted to, yeah. I I so I felt the Moulin Rouge comparisons, and I'm 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 already kind of up and down about Moulin Rouge, like in general. But this, this, this makes that look like a fucking masterpiece. This is what I said in my review. Uh, uh, 
you know, because a large part of why it sucks is because, uh, uh, da, 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 da. You, you know, for me, you know, it's hard to do this. I can't tell if it was made to be a jukebox musical to ground the universe of the world to a more sense of, to more to a sense of reality, which is 50% of the reason jukebox musicals exist, or because they couldn't be asked to make original songs, which is the other 50% of the reasons jukebox musicals exist. If I, if I may, um, there are a handful of original songs. And I could um, tell. Yeah, they were, they, they were so, um, they were so dissonant from the rest of the music that like, you almost wonder why this wasn't just like an original musical or, okay, honestly, they should have just picked they should have just picked a lane because, you know, jukebox musicals are very hard to get right. Almost, almost all of them fail because, because you're trying to force a story around songs that have like their own, like, like their own, like pre-established meaning. Um, Can I say something real quick? Go just- ahead. So this is um, the thing about jukebox musicals. At, at their core, they are kind of a lot of um, in the origin of musical theater as a genre. A lot of the earliest musicals in the early 20th century were very much, we are going to use popular songs at this time, all the Gershwins, all that, all Cole Porter, stuff like that. And they would put it into a musical that they would present. And that was how it was at the time. It was later that musicals began developing more or less their own scores. Huh. So it's not like they're a new thing. They are very much baked into musical theater culture. However, lately... Since the advent of ones like Moulin Rouge, your Mamma Mia's, your Jersey Boys, since those got more popular, a lot of people don't tend to know how to do them correctly. And now they're very easy to screw up, but they are very, they are pretty essential to the art form itself. So there's a there's a bit of there's a bit of revisionist history when it comes to the popular perception of jukebox musicals. Then, correct. It okay. wasn't as much about the book before, like your Oklahoma's, your Showboats. Okay, your, that that that's like, um that clarifies things a lot. So, like you know, singing in the rain is technically if that's a jukebox musical because they were using songs that were pretty popular at the time and throwing them in white christmas those are all technically jukebox musicals but um recently there's been more of a trend of doing stuff like the moulin rouges and like your kind of glee style formatting of um music to tell your story i i would say moulin rouge is sort of like the nexus point for the modern um the modern in incarnation of jukebox musicals how about how about this comparison moulin rouge is the blade of jukebox musicals but glee is the dark knight trilogy of jukebox musicals 
your, there compa- you go. your, com- your comparison of, of quality isn't isn't one v one, but I, I understand <laughs> I understand the reference because w- while listening to that, uh, it's very interesting. And I remembered I think I remembered Sideways, the YouTuber Sideways, talking about that briefly. His channel is amazing. I highly recommend if you're not subscribed already, fellow Renegades, go go watch his videos. His his breakdowns on Lay Miz, Cats, and even West Side Story are just amazing. But in thinking about all those different jukebox musicals, they're at least consistent with a theme. Like from what I remember, Moulin Rouge was all about love. Mm-hmm. Almost every song that they picked was all about love. I think about Pitch Perfect and it makes sense. Again, Sympathy for the Devil. It's uh, it's an acapella uh, uh, club in college. They do nothing but lift from other songs. And it works in that regard. Every song in this is low hanging fruit. And likewise, is the most obvious, but also like most ill-fitting thing that they could use. Like starting it out because we want to set up that this is a musical. Oh, have everybody sing Rhythm Nation. Oh, by by the way, Uh John, Happy Feet 2 beat this movie to it. That started with Rhythm Nation 2. Exactly. And then you have the stepmother singing about how she's all about money and materialism. Have material girl. Like that that point in particular, when we find out about the stepmother later on, that scene feels so contradictory to what her character's about. Her redemption arc was so not earned at all. All not even a little bit. It was so oh. not earned. I can see it in another movie, but in this one, when she already like, uh, like she already acts like the evil stepmother and all the other adaptations, like the Disney one. Like literally, the point where she we see her get abusive to Cinderella or to Ella. I'm sorry. It is when it, it feels so out of place when she like pulls her by the ear and sprays the ink like, no, you listen, bitch, you're gonna stay, you're gonna fucking marry Thomas. And when you see immediately after the next time that she thinks she sees Ella, she's just like, listen, my my father hit me. Uh, my uh, I, I had a I had a rough I had a rough life, and that's why I'm cruel to you because I love you. A nope. That is disgusting. And B, that is disgusting. And C, what the hell is this sudden shift? She feels like a totally different character from that point on. And like like I said, like, like I was saying, you know, just literally this movie has three kisses of death. A, James Corden. B, the fact that the big romantic moment hinges on an Ed Sheeran song, in particular, the third worst Ed Sheeran song that ever exists. And three, the fact that this movie fundamentally doesn't want to be Cinderella. And this is where I'll end my bit before I, I pass it off to Crystal. I I do also have some other things uh, to bring up just before we get into that. Um. Well, so one thing is, so 
do you know who originally was going to be one of the mice? Who? who? John Mulaney. Oh! Ah! But um, what look? But um, as uh, you've probably seen in the news and all that, um, he um, went to rehab. Um, and not to delegitimize um, like anybody who's like not to make it that a joke of that or anything. But I am just like thinking, I really do wonder how grateful he is right now that he is not in this. And that's just something that's crossing my mind. No, um, I'm sure he'll make a joke about it at some point. Like, can I you feel believe like he I might. was almost in like the second worst bit of my career in Cinderella? Um, well, and the second thing that I want to bring up is this is not the only revisionist adaptation. This is not the only revisionist musical adaptation of Cinderella that came out in 2021. What? what? For, if, for if you know the theater community, there is one currently going on written by one Andrew Lloyd Webber. I heard um, about that. That is in the West End with a book incidentally by Emerald Fennel of Promising Young Woman fame. Holy shit. And that is on stage right now. I listened to it and I really did not care for it, but from what I... From just hearing it but from what I'm hearing I hear the stage production might be a little bit better than the the cast recording so I'm going to give it that grain of salt but the Weber revisionist Cinderella from what it seems like is the better one and I can't believe I have to say that okay um <laughs> Um, James, Cor um, we also have to mention another problematic person, uh, Camila Cabello, hugely problematic. Um, now someone's gonna have to explain this to me because I'm, I'm not as in the know about, um, why people don't like Camila Cabello. I mean, her performance in here was nothing special. Um, she was clearly auto-tuned. It's because apparently back in the day, she used to run, she had a very racist Tumblr, I think. Mm. And she's, yeah. she kind of says some off-kilter things about Black people, which... Um, about Chris Brown Rihanna. Oh, God, that's even worse. So, you know, it kind of makes it even funnier unintentionally that Cinderella, that Ella's worth in this movie is hinges on whether or not the one prominent like African-American or the one prominent black performer accepts her. I'm just- Oh, I'm the, 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 the irony of that is just through the roof. It crossed and, my mind, I will say, it crossed my mind. And we also to how she demands to be called queen. Look, <sighs> this is where, go ahead, Jacob. No, go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. Because this is where I'm going to end it before I I, I, I I jump it over to Crystal. But this is a direct quote from my review. Again, check it out. 
The writer-director caught a lot of flack back in 2017 for her Netflix-created show, Hashtag Girlboss, as well as deflected criticism for her take on the story by seeing people's minimalizations of her adaptation of Cinderella as, quote, girl boss Cinderella, and be surprised and by saying, my wish is that people can watch it and be surprised that it's more than that and that we can have more nuance about works with female protagonists and that we won't oversimplify what someone's dreams can be. And I completely agree with that sentiment. I do think that we should have more nuance when having films with female protagonists. Far too often do we see characters driven only by their passions, but sacrifice any sort of personality or motivation and end up becoming a blank slate for the audience to insert themselves into, rather than the complex issues that come with being a modern woman trying to make their way in the world. But when your story checks all this criteria and more to the point where it might as well be a completely different story, as well as relies on Ed Sheeran songs and a town crier that is directed to be like an overly enthusiastic theater student auditioning for an underfunded Hamilton production mixed with the subtlety of an iCarly episode, I think maybe it's a good point to take a step back and examine how your story has presented itself. This is the worst movie I have seen this year. And I hate it, but that is nothing compared to how Crystal sees it. And I'm laying the floor down because I think she has an interesting perspective compared to all of us. Because, well, for one thing, you're, you're, you're the only woman in this episode. Yeah. So not, not intentionally, it just kind of planned out that way. We need someone to crash this sausage party. <laughs> oh God, okay, okay. So as your all's resident whammon, this, this, this movie, I said something to Josh earlier today and he laughed his ass off. And I'm gonna preface this by saying it's, I, I'm completely joking when I say this, but this movie pissed me off so much. It made me question, hmm, you know what? Maybe women's suffrage wasn't a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this movie. I, I cannot say that with enough venom in my, in my blood to say that I hate this movie. This, it has a, a flat out zero out of 10 for me. I am like actually shaking because of how much I hate this movie. I would, by the end of watching this, which by the way, fuck you, Josh, for making me watch it all the way through because he, I begged him. Our future marriage is strained because of this film. I begged him to let me walk away and not have to watch it. And he wouldn't listen to me. So I sat through the whole thing. And by the end, I wasn't even like angry anymore. I was actually sad. I was actually hurt by how bad this movie is. I'm just going to start off by saying... Everything that Josh said just now about this Cinderella movie not taking any elements, 
from Cinderella. It, it's, it's completely on the head. This movie is not a Cinderella movie. It's not. What did you describe it as? Because I wrote it down in my review. I, I don't remember what I said. I think it's, you said it's Beauty and the Beast with extra steps. Yes. It, that, that's, that's what it is. Or Beauty, Beauty and the Beast or Princess and the Frog with extra steps or less steps, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> <laughs> and just, uh, it, it's not a Cinderella movie. It's not the only thing that ties this movie to Cinderella is that there's a bitchy stepmom. That's it. That's literally it. Not even. Not even. Because she's she's not even like bitchy at him at, at her for the right reasons. Oh, this movie is so ultra. I, I, I'm also going to say this. I am a feminist. I believe that women should be equal to men, right? That's no brainer. This movie is so ultra feminist. It goes, it, it's, it spins circles in the Ikea parking lot back to being sexist. It does. It really, really does. It makes every girl in this movie seem like a dumbass because they're so ultra, like, uh, girl power. What about your favorite character in the movie? Named after our buddy and, and resident, like, guest <laughs> over to the podcast. Princess Gwen. Oh my God, they, they were so dead set on putting down every single, I, I, I want to make this as clear as possible. Every, not a single male character gets out of this movie without being put down in some way, shape or form. Not a single one. And they went out of their way to make a make an entirely new character just to put down the prince and make him dumb and it incompetent in everything it, oh, that, that that's literally princess gwen's only purpose oh. the, the the thing that, that frustrates me just to like I, I never talked about it in, in the review, but you you agreed with me. The prince felt so out of character. I think our friend Adi basically called him Gaston. Yeah, he's Gaston. But if, can see it. Yeah, but if Belle was just like, "All right, fine, I'll go with you," like I guess the second she said, "Oh, he's cute," and that seemed to be all that it was. Yeah, it, that it was actually. Everybody bitches at Cinderella for being for like oh well she's weak and and she she lets everybody walk all over her and the only thing that can save her is a man. She had in in the in all other versions of Cinderella, she has more of a connection to the prince, emotionally, mentally, than this fucking Cinderella. The one that's supposed to be like, fuck you, Cinderella. Like, th this is the real, like, girl boss shit. And that leads me into my next point. How this movie insults me personally. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little heavy here. But it's not until, like, the past few years that I've realized that Cinderella is, my, is probably my favorite Disney princess. Because in, in many ways, I am her. Uh, I, I've mentioned in like the mental health podcast that I came from a pretty rough childhood. Um, 
you know, I was the oldest of my siblings by six and seven years and my parents didn't really have it together. So I was stuck with a lot of responsibilities at a really young age and that didn't let up and it just got heavier and heavier and heavier. And I faced a lot of really, really challenging situations. And it wasn't, it wasn't my own strength that got me out of that situation. It wasn't, you know, girl power that got me out of that. It was somebody showing me that I mattered because my family put me in a position that I couldn't see myself worth. It was impossible for me to see. It was impossible for me to get away. And that's exactly what so many other people feel in abusive households. They cannot see a way out because that's what abuse does to you. That's what abuse does to Cinderella. And it's not until somebody shows her that she has worth that she's able to break free. And the fact that this Cinderella spits in the face of basically every victim of uh, family abuse, it, it, it hurt me. It actually hurt me because that's, that's really what it is. It's just, this is what I would have done in that situation. That all those people telling you, well, why didn't you just do this? Why didn't you just do that? Why didn't you just leave? Why didn't you just tell them to stop? Or like, this is what I would have done in that situation. That's what this movie is. A sick and twisted insult, a spit in the face to every person who has been manipulated. That's what this movie is. And that's why I fucking hate it. It downplays like every mythos about, every piece of mythos about the Cinderella story. It, this, this is the thing, because Cinderella is one of my personal favorite, my personal favorite fairy tale of all time. Because it's about the strength of empathy and positivity and, and femininity by showing the good and the bad of it. We literally see the worst of it in the stepmom and the entitled stepsisters just in how, you know, while on the outside they may be beautiful in some way to some people, on the inside, they're pure ugliness and the musical stuff. She sings in order to, to bring herself some sort of comfort. That's what you pointed out. And when she goes to the ball, it's not in order to like meet a guy and get herself out of there. It's because she has been locked up in that house for God knows how long. And she just wants one night to not feel like a slave one night. Th the thing is about Cinderella is there. there's two forms of conflict in the story of Cinderella. There's external and there's internal. 
there's external in the step and the evil stepmother and there's internal with Cinderella not knowing who she is. The fact that this Cinderella knows exactly who she is and even sings a song about knowing who she is. I know who I'm going to be. You're going to know my name. Causes the movie to completely fall apart at the seams. Everything about this movie feels like it was written in an algorithm and I can't speak for your gender, Crystal. <laughs> I wish I could, but I can't. That's not a, that's not a, that's not a, like a power play thing. That's just a joke. But I swear to God, I feel insulted for women on behalf of the motivations behind this. And literally everything that is presented here is the textbook example of how not to adapt something. Mm -hmm. And th th this isn't like a situation where piece of shit Brian Singer doesn't understand X-Men, doesn't want to read X-Men, thinks it's stupid, but still manages to find something to tether it to. Because at the end of the day, X-Men is still about prejudice and all that. I can't believe I'm comparing Cinderella to fucking comic book movies, but here we are. But Cinderella isn't about capitalism. The fact that this Cinderella's motivation is to go to the ball to network is so disgusting. He's like, oh, don't you want to go to the ball? It's like, nah, it sounds too stuffy and boring and quite frankly, a waste of time. Well, maybe you could get some prospective buyers. Oh, you know what? Maybe I will. That's not what it's about. It's just an ounce just begging for an ounce of happiness or so, like joy in her life that's what what the ball is supposed to be and i'm just gonna say this her the the, the amazing talented cinderella her dresses look like like the inside of a birthday bag legit like tissue paper I, I never brought this up in my review because I felt like I was too ill-equipped to talk about it. But I remembered watching as, in the movie, like the first time I was watching it and my urge to kill was rising. I remember thinking, look, I don't know shit about costume design, but why does everything she makes look like garbage? Oh, it was my mother's brooch. Well, your, your mother's brooch looks like shit. <laughs> it looks like a bedazzled pretzel. God, I hate this movie. Would you say that it's the worst movie you've seen this year? It's the worst movie I've ever seen. Really? Period. Worst movie I've ever seen. And I legit, after watching this, I, I outright said, this movie is better than Suicide Squad. It is. I would- Wait, better? No, no, no. Worse. Sorry, I messed up. Worse than Suicide Squad. I would much rather watch Suicide Squad over this movie. If, if, I were to, if I were to just bring the mood up just a tiny bit, I would recommend, personally speaking, and I feel like I'm probably giving myself away with this, but my personal favorite Cinderella adaptation that I've seen is Kenneth Branagh's adaptation, like reimagining of the 
the old Disney animated. I film. still need to see that. Jacob, it's so magical. Uh, the 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 live action Disney remakes have been a big turnoff for me. I know. Oh, I know what you're. I know what you're feeling, but watch it. It's so beautiful. The only negative I can think is that the go- the godmother played by uh, Helena Bonham Carter is very underwhelming. But everything about it is so beautiful. It's you know what? so well done. When you get to the ball scene and the prince and Cinderella dance, it's one of the most beautiful things that a Disney remake has done. I swear to God. And it's not just because it's Lily James and Richard Madden, who I Richard swear to God, Madden. that man could fucking snap me like a Slim Jim. Fucking, I mean it the movie just exhumes this beauty and this joy to be alive. And I guess they... It's Kenneth more than has any right to be. Kenneth Branagh has a new movie coming out called Belfast. I've heard really good things about it. I'll use that as an excuse to watch more of his movies. Do it, and Please. I swear to God, if Death of the Nile comes out before, then don't watch it. But... Okay. Uh, I am. I am. No, that's slated for February of next year. <laughs> we'll see about that. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I am so so sorry for bringing the mood down so hard, but no, I, I had to it, go. It, it's okay. It was it was necessary. Like, it came from the heart. You know, it it wasn't forced at all. Like I, I didn't even touch on everything that pissed me off about this movie. Which, hold on, if I'm going to say one good thing about this movie, because I, I feel like it's only fair. There is one scene where I actually paid attention because there was an actually good performance going on. It was that one completely out of place uh, scene where the queen is like fencing and she's talking with, with, uh, with the king. Genuinely good performance from from the Queen's part. I forget. That. I actually I did like driver. Mini driver. Mini driver. I did like her in this actually. And Pierce Brosnan. She actually gave a genuinely good performance, and the only reason why I I, I, I latched onto that was because there are no other good performances in this movie. And they wasted. A classic, like, I don't know, I think Minnie Driver's a classically trained theater actress. Like, she actually knows how to sing. She's been in theater productions. Of all characters, why didn't they give her a fucking song? Nope, nothing. They did give her a bit of something at the end, but that's They gave her a morsel. They gave her a fucking crumb. I... Like, that... uh... That scene was so out of place. I was looking at him like this. Why? Why? Why did the Why did the cinematography like actually get good for a second? What's going on? What's happening? What movie am I watching? It, yeah, it I really does back. feel like it was taken out of a completely different movie. It did. I, I was. I didn't remember that movie because I remember that part because I was too distracted by the painfully unfunny joke involving the sea monster. <sighs> Also, the editing in this was out of control. Oh. It was Bohemian Rhapsody levels of bad. Um, another point that I've seen brought up about this movie. Um, this is from uh, Beth Elderkin, who um, some of you might know. Um, um, she uh, was on a, she's a writer um, that used to work for io9, was on a 
uh, channel awesome back in the day before not doing that anymore. Um, she, um, one thing she said was, um, this is a tweet that she made. I am watching Amazon Prime Cinderella. It's bad, but my biggest problem may be the smallest detail. In a sexist world that bans women designers, rulers, and business owners, how are there professional women musicians everywhere? Yes! Oh my God! Oh my God! That's a really good point. That, that scene yeah. actually threw me off the edge because I'm, I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. Every single male character in this movie cannot escape it without being put down. Even the fucking performers at the ball have to be put down by a girl boss celloist who just takes over the fucking performance. And why? It, and it, why? That scene was completely unnecessary. That character was completely unnecessary other than to say girl power. And what it, the fuck? It contradicts the, the stepmother's motivation yes, for being yes. a bitch. Oh my god. 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 Crystal's getting her second oh. win. I'm breaking. I'm breaking. <sighs> I'm I'm you while uh, we work on while we um like um try to sort all this out, I'm just gonna say one positive thing about um Cinderella in general. This is my personal pick for my favorite Cinderella film. The wonderful, the wonderful world of Disney's. Oh, with Brandy Newton, with with uh, Brandy and uh, Whitney Houston is oh. always going to be my favorite. I've, I've I watched very... parts of that when I was younger. I I, I liked what I watched. Yeah, it's it's been a minute since I've seen that, but I I remember I remember it's I remember still... ABC like hyping that up like all the time. Wasn't Jason Alexander in that one too? Yes, he He's is the king. Oh! Oh! Wow! No, Jason Alexander is the um is the um assistant to the king. Oh, that's right. Victor Garber is, and Whoopi Goldberg are the king and queen. Oh, Victor I, Garber okay, was in this. Wow! On, can I just throw in this little uh, positivity? I thought the part, the idea of uh the the godmother uh being the caterpillar that Cinderella saved from a spider um and turn out and then. The caterpillar turned to a butterfly, which turned to the godmother. I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah. Yeah. Conceptually, like things like that were things like that worked. But then if you're it's distracted, you're distracted by scenes of uh James Corden uh when he's human, he's a mouse who's turned into a human. He refers to his dick as his front tail. Remember, this is this is rated PG. Not PG 13, P- PG. Yeah, and then the part where um, they turn back into mice, and you see almost this disembodied head floating yes. on the little mouse body. I hope I would forget that scene, but no. That was horrifying. That was. I've never wanted to. I've never felt. I've always felt like Doug Walker over exaggerated his points of horror in watching movies, but seeing that unfold. Had me screaming. Literally inside, I was so scared, and I know that wasn't the intention. Mm. I please just just say the point that because if I say it, I'm gonna go off. It's because like when we mentioned the celloist and everything, you have a prominent female performer who's probably in this universe studying music. 
and you have the step the, the stepmother who has studied music and everything only for a month but granted she still studied enough to be able to play a fucking like i want to say a beethoven song i don't know mm-hmm. but she's talking about how her husband put her down that bad but yet you have proof in this world that a woman can play music and clearly get paid for it. And it's not even in a, 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 a musical context. It's literally, they perform for the king. I want to say that's probably a high point of honor. I don't fucking know. Why did she stop? It literally tears apart her whole, like, redemption arc. The, because obviously women are accepted as, as musicians. And not only that, <laughs> did you remember? There was a choir with women in it. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, in the choir that ripped apart one of my favorite Queen songs. The, yeah. I what see- is also from the Happy Feet movies. Which... I will, I will. I, and Ella Enchanted. That's what I oh was my thinking God. when I saw that. Because I was thinking, boy, you really think you can outshine Anne Hathaway trying to do her best Freddie Mercury? Fuck off. But I think we can all agree this movie sucks. Yeah. But this movie. I will, I, I want, I, I think I can lead us out of this. But I just want to touch on one last thing that I think we can all agree what the fuck was the tone of this movie? <laughs> was, it, was it even was it even directed? It changed so movie, much that I I couldn't I lost track. Did this movie want to be a subversive comedy like Shrek? I really don't know. You got fucking Zap Brannigan playing the fucking prince. You got you got you got Camilla Cabello winking her way through every bit where the movie's like, hey, maybe you want to follow Cinderella, like at least follow in the steps of something. Uh, I don't think so. Literally, the point where she was at her lowest, where she has the reprisal of million to one, I think is what it's called, right before the fair the Fab G shows up. Which I I love the fact that she starts singing her inspirational song at her lowest moment, literally. It's not even done in the way like the princess and the frog where they should, they play Tiana's inspirational song almost there, but it's done in a minor. And on top of that, it's not even built up to be bombastic. She's trying to fight it, but she, she doesn't even go through the whole chorus. And you can, clearly hear like her voice tremble and they even change the lyrics to say I was almost there that this the way that they do it in this they just have her singing her inspirational song while crying but still singing it in a major key and still singing it like completely like happy toned and that was supposed to be seen as her wanting to go to the ball but I didn't get that at all they got fucking the point where she where where the prince realizes oh my god it's me ice tea i care now you guys made me care more and she's just like oh god he's gonna go on it's like fuck you for wanting to for for putting aside this pure 
expression of emotion. You got that god awful sequence where all the women in this movie are at their all time low. The the marry it, bury it thing with probably the worst editing and worst camera shots of the whole movie. But it can't be a complete downer for the fucking movie because you have to include the maids of the castle shredding on guitar because it's also a badass song. Like, and we wonder why why men internalize all their emotions when literally the two times that men express like internal emotion in this in this movie the women that they're talking to just treat them like absolute fucking idiots think about that when he when the prince is like pouring out his, his soul to her she's like oh no this is gonna be a long thing isn't it fuck you bitch and then when the when the the, the like the king is like serenading the queen he's like she, she even says you well, what did, what does she call him like singing I don't fucking remember. Like she literally just calls him like something to the effect of dirtbag. I I do have a question about that moment with the prince with the king singing. Go ahead. Um Pierce Brosnan. Do any of did any of you um think that might have been like just a an in joke to Pierce Brosnan's embarrassing himself in Mamma Mia? I think it 100% was. It could have, but it's even worse because this could be a point that could solve up a plot point. It could be the like a very sincere conclusion and it's played up as a joke. And it would be it would be funnier if like he starts off bad and she chastises him for it and then he just kind of clears his throat and then goes back to singing normally. I don't know. This movie's fucking this movie's a piece of shit. Fucking two out of ten just because Billy Porter's enthusiasm is literally enough to give you a second wind. I'm Jesus fuck. I gotta say, it's because of this movie that the term, you know, I know the term Mary Sue has been kind of tainted for a lot of people because the people who have used that term, but I think it has a new meaning now with this movie. Yes. Yes, it does. And We have a legit Mary Sue now. And she doesn't change. She doesn't change at all. She has zero character development. This, this, she's the kind of character the phrase was actually uh, made to describe. Yep. This was... By I, the end of it, she has a pet. That's it. She gets a new I, pet. I just, one thing I want to bring up is this any character in this really actually like have any development at all the prince prince, maybe the prince does he though because he just kind of is still where he was more or less just now he's not in line for the crown anymore but the king kind of so which he like didn't really i mean he wanted it but he didn't really like want all the stress anyway so To, to quote to quote bo burnham being self-aware doesn't make you any less of a dick. Mm. And that's his whole heart arc. Like, oh shit, you're right. The system is fucked. I'm a part of it. I line up the- that's development. That's that's just like, that's barely an arc. That's literally just, oh, the script tells me to do this. Therefore, I'm going to do this now. But I, I think the point is, is that I think this movie was 
told in the wrong it should have been in the prince's a point of view because he goes through more character development than Cinderella does and that would have made for a better movie it wouldn't have been a good movie but it would have been better um can i lighten the mood up a little bit a little bit more um did you hear what Camila Cabello, Adina Menzel, uh, Billy Porter, and James Corden? You you hear what those guys did recently? Oh yeah, they backed the, the, the stuff traffic. with the car. Yeah, they they uh, backed L.A. traffic. They did. So, yeah. so um, yeah, they um, for uh, um, they held up L.A. Show. traffic so James Corden could pelvic thrust dressed in a mouse costume. Yes. I didn't know. I didn't know if they like genuinely did back up traffic because I, I. I think it was like at a red. I think it was like at a red light or something specifically, but the optics still looks pretty bad. But the thing uh, is, they, they have done this before on James Corden's show. Yeah, because they the have thing, um. The thing is, people yeah. have. Go ahead. People have posted like and tweeted pictures of them doing that, paired to a picture of Russell Crowe and unhinged. <laughs> oh, God, that is Where that is, is perfect. Oh, my God, okay, but or Bruce Willis and Pulp Fiction, I've seen that too. <laughs> my, my my mom, I, I was like getting all genuinely upset about because Josh had just told me about th- this was before the movie came out. Josh told me about the fact that they made it up, they gave the prince a sister who's better at being a, a ruler. And that made me so angry. And then that was also around the same time that the whole thing came out that they backed up traffic. And so I, I was really upset at that point. And so I, I was like, I was with my mom at some point and I was talking to her about it. I'm like, ah, this is ridiculous. They were even backing up traffic. And she's like, no, they didn't. He doesn't do that. Like, look, th- this is him doing it for for the uh, Beauty and the Beast remake, and literally, the, 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 the yeah, you're right. They do it at a red light, and they, they, it's like uh, like down here, at, like in, in Juarez, we in Juarez we have uh, like street performers. They they go out in the street during red lights. They do a little thing. You can sometimes give them tips, and then they walk off when the when the light turns green. They legit stayed in the road even though the red the light turned red. And then once they started getting honked at, that's when they left. Legit. So th- they actually did back up traffic. Ugh. I hate this movie. Can we switch gears now? Um, Yes, please. Um, We're going to move on to um, our final film and pretty definitively the best one of the bunch. Everybody's talking about Jamie, which is a biographical musical um, directed by Jonathan Butterell who is making his feature film debut. And I believe he also directed the West End production. Um, The screenplay was written by Tom McRae, who again, also um, wrote the book for the the UK stage musical with music written by uh, Dan Gillespie Sells. 
and it stars Max Harwood as the titular Jamie New, um, who just turns 16 and doesn't really quite fit in. Instead of pursuing a real career, he dreams of becoming a drag queen. Uncertain about his future, Jamie knows one thing for sure. He is going to be a sensation. Supported by his loving mom and his amazing friends, Jamie overcomes prejudice, beats the bullies, and steps out of the darkness into the spotlight. Um, Hayden, I'm going to start with you because, um, because obviously you're the reason why we had to talk about this one. Yeah. Um, so background is I only heard tangentially about, um, the original stage musical. Um, I hadn't actually seen it before the film. I just kind of knew it existed, knew and I heard some of the songs on um, my local like um, uh, show tune uh, station, um, so, but um, I was definitely intrigued by the film. And I watched this immediately after um, that last movie that shall not be named as a chaser to remind me that uh, movie musicals can actually be, you know, enjoyable and not complete waste of time and money. So yeah, I thought this was a really nice, fun movie. I I don't have like that much to say about it, but I think it's a really pleasant um, and well-meaning, beautiful story um, um, that's uh, really uh, prominently and unabashedly queer and I'm I'm really happy that um, they're they made a they were able to make a movie like this um, and uh, I please uh, see it on Amazon give it the boost that Cinderella has been getting due to um, people hate watching give it this that same energy watch everybody's talking about Jamie please I concur. Um... And Jacob, before I throw it to you, since I'm since I'm the most fresh on this film, uh, okay, everyone everyone knows that I have a strong bias towards good movie musicals, um, and <laughs> and I can say with almost certainty that had I seen this movie in the theater, this would this would have been a five out of five. Um, I think literally my only complaint is that and maybe this is just because i watched it on um a streaming service that it didn't it didn't quite look like the cinematography wasn't quite cinematic enough they they um for for the music for the musical numbers themselves um some of them just absolutely popped but i think i think just this, this movie feels like it was meant to be shown on a, on a larger screen. Um, and yeah, before Amazon uh, purchased the rights to this, this was supposed to be a February 2021 uh, release for 20th Century Studios, which is now owned by Disney. So yeah, I'm pretty bitter that rather than rather than delay this one even further, Disney just like, nah, we give up. Amazon, you can take it. 
Also, I'm just going to say it's kind of a bad look when they keep doing this to the character, to the film's leading LGBT characters. Um, like, it it happens because they did this same thing with Love, Victor, the Love, Simon uh, spinoff that was supposed to be on Disney Plus. And then they just decided, nope, it's going on, on Hulu now. Here you go. Um. And I'm sorry, I have to bring up the Owl House one more time um, because oh yeah, um, because that because that show is it's you know it's on the Disney Channel, but it's also very but it's also very gay, so it just surprises me that that show exists around all of Disney's other controversies, including cancel canceling um Nimona at Blue Sky Studio even though they were like 78% oh, finished. It's getting it's becoming a really unfortunate pattern. And I don't want to make assumptions of how intentional it is I because that's not what I do. But I will say that once it happens to like that many times it begins to feel a little sketchy um one once is an anomaly twice is a coincidence any more than that becomes a pattern and um i i'm also going to recommend um a youtube channel um who's um done uh, some very interesting videos about um this um certain topic his name is james summerton um he does some he does um a lot of uh content um on YouTube about um, uh, gay representation. And um, he's done some ones recently about um, Disney specifically. I think that's a very interesting watch. And even if there's stuff in there that you don't fully agree with, I think it does um, paint a pretty good picture. He's done a few of those as well. Summerton, Uh, you said? James Summerton, yes. Okay, I'll make sure that's in the, the show notes. Yeah, he, he has a very good channel. Um, he makes very interesting videos um, that I highly recommend to anybody who would be interested. Um, but go, going back to this movie, I think um, there, there are two, two things that really, that really stand out. One are the, mu- the musical numbers, which, you know, compared to the other movie, that shall re- remain nameless. Um, the like these songs are, are all these songs are all bangers. Like I I could see myself casually listening to the soundtrack the same way I I would um, movies like Sing Street or um, or In the Heights or just just a lot of the more recent uh, musicals. Um. Yeah, these like these song these songs all all slap, and the other the other highlight is Richard E. Grant, who probably yes. plays the best. Who probably plays the best character? Richard E. Grant film. is always a highlight in everything he does. It's just it, a fact. Exactly. Um, also, fun fun fact um, for for like for the montage of. Um, of Grant's uh, character, um, his drag queen persona, they got 
they got one of the original um Jamie News to play the younger version of um what was what was his um his drag name? Loco Chanel. Loco Chanel. Yeah. That is in fact um the um um I, I believe the original he was the original uh Jamie New in the West End, and he yep. was also um Artie in Cruella. Oh wow. Oh wow. Yeah, that's him. Okay. Um yeah, no, I can I can see that now. Yeah, even even in just even in just like those like montage clips, he he still he still leaves a lasting impression. There, there's there's another there's another hidden Jamie in there too. Um Late Leighton Williams, who um who is on the UK tour, um, has a, a little cameo as one of the dancers. So there are two there are two hidden hidden Jamies in this film. That's a that's a that's a cool little uh, Easter egg. All right, Jacob, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to you for general thoughts. This was a fun movie. This was a sweet movie. This was just an all around feel good time. You know, it has this movie had some stuff on its mind. I think about you know what it means to really stand out in a crowd and how much you can do that without taking the spotlight from other people. And I think. It has a lot to say about identity, you know, find your own place while bringing other people up with you who also are kind of let down. Um, you know, it's, I, I love the performances. I love the relationship between Jamie and his mother. Um, I loved the nuance and the writing. I just, this was just an all around good time, man. And I'm glad that we decided to watch it. I, I felt like, we had an obligation to see just to give our support to something like this and that we desperately need more of. Um, and that Disney did kind of um, shoot themselves in the foot. Um, uh, they did, uh, they, they did uh, put a, a bit of a blight on their image when it comes to this sort of representational thing. Um, but yeah, that we had to go out of our way to support this movie. And I'm really glad we did. Um, now, question for both of you, um, but more especially for Jacob, did you know that this was based on a true story? They they said they actually started in the opening. They say um, what you're about to see is based on a true story. We just threw in the singing and the dancing. Right, but I mean, I mean. I meant before before you watched it. Did you did you know? I actually I, did not. I I knew that it was a stage musical at first, but I don't I don't I don't think I might have heard it in passing, but if I did, I I forgot about it pretty much when I started this movie. And Hayden, I actually didn't know until. Uh... Um, watching it either i i had i knew only very like small things about uh the show and movie in general 
I, I think I, I think I knew in passing, um, maybe from, maybe from the trailers and people, people I know who have seen, um, a stage production, but other than that, other than that, I was, I was kind of reminded by, um, by the opening, like the opening title crawl. But I think, I think knowing, knowing that it's based on a true story kind of enhances, it enhances a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of moments, like specifically, specifically like the more dramatic moments, like, um, like Jamie's relationship with, with his mentor and, um, and the whole the whole deal with uh, with his father, which ooh that that like that that hurt to watch almost as almost as much as um, the scene in Shazam where Billy goes to visit his um, his birth mother and he's like and she's like no I I don't want you I I I, I didn't lose you I I abandoned you. And, and you guys get get that sort of vibe. I was mostly um, cringing whenever um, the mom like kept lying, trying to protect him, and I understood why she was doing it. But at the same time, I was just, no, please don't. It's gonna make everything so much worse. Yeah, no, I I I felt that I felt that too. I I thought the first. I thought it was only going to happen once with the uh, with the birthday card, but like when once she does it with the flowers, that's like oh no, this is going to end so badly. Um, well, well, one thing we we need to mention um his dad played by Ralph Ineson, um his homophobic um father. What I found um interesting is they don't shy away from how neglectful and how just like some parents just want nothing to do with their gay kid. You know, and sadly they, they never come around to it. You know, they never come around it. And, you know, they, we don't see uh, Jamie be reunited with his father by the end, but in a way we don't really need to because he has his mom. In uh, a way. Yeah. And again, because this is based on a, because this is based on a true story. Um, it's that much it's that much more effective when you know you don't get that redemption for the father yeah sometimes it just doesn't happen and it, i am i am actually really curious like to maybe one day watch the documentary this was based on um the documentary um that was apparently aired on bbc3 um, is called Jamie Drag Queen at sixteen. Um, I don't I don't know where that would be available, but I am kind of just curious to um, just for comparison's sake, how much of how much of the musical and by extension the film is accurate to the real life events. Well, honestly, I'm not really looking for that much. Um, I, I do think that this is a natural uh, extension, though, of um, Jamie's persona. You know, I don't. Well, I like how like this is necessary in the sense that we need um, this story told through his perspective. So we have both the documentary and the um, the musical. 
Hayden, any, any, anything else to add? I mean, I just thought it was a really nice movie overall. I don't necessarily think it's trying to reinvent the wheel in any like filmmaking way, but I think um, in terms of its overall content and message, it is a, I think it's a worthwhile movie to check out and give support to, to show A, there that people do want stories like this and B, support actually good musicals that um, move along the medium and do something fun with it. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think something that works in this movie's favor is that um, it's, you know, it's not, it's not an unsubtle movie in terms of its um, LGBT uh, representation, but at the same time, it's still, it's it's not in 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 universe. They are trying to start a a little revolution, but it's it the the story the story itself is more is more it's more relatable and universal than I guess how most how most people outside of the community view these these type of stories, you know. Like this, like this is, it. This this movie is is just, um, like the movie itself isn't really trying to make a statement. It's it's just kind of, it's just kind of existing, but it's existing and also just really, just a really good example of of the form. Mm-hmm. Um. So before before we close out this episode, um, I want to I want to ask Josh and Crystal since I know they didn't I didn't know they didn't get a chance to uh, to see this. Um, does anything that we just des- that we described sound sound appealing? Whether or not you have seen Cinderella, I will say after this, I think I need a break on musicals, but. Um, I'm definitely intrigued. Everything that you guys talked about with this sounds so incredibly different from what I've seen from other musicals. And I'll be honest, I am very welcome to that. Especially- That's good to hear. Especially when, as soon as you compare a big moment to that scene in Shazam, yeah, you've already got me hooked. I fi- I figured that would get you. <laughs> I I'm definitely gonna put I'm I'm gonna put this movie on my watch list, and I will watch it like soon ish, real soon, because I feel like I need to go into an Odin sleep. But at the same time, like I, I if there's one thing that I can glean from all of this, though. The one thing I'm really happy about is that this year has been a really good year for musicals on film. Oh yeah. Um, one movie I haven't seen yet, but uh, ironically is another Amazon um, original. Um, the movie Annette with Adam Driver and uh, Marion Cotillard. That's, that's another movie um, that 
has been on my list for a while that I've I've desperately needed to check out. Um, I, and I hear I hear the music the music is is good in that one too. That's what you, that's what you get when you get sparks, baby. You know, like yeah. Um, but, other other ones that I'm hearing good things about. Um, I've heard um, the new uh, Cyrenical with uh, Peter Dinklage is very good. Ooh. I've heard that's pretty good. Um, it's directed by Joe Wright. Ooh. Um, and that's set for release uh, this December. Um, we all know about West Side Story, so. Yes. Yeah, um, I also want to, also we have the upcoming uh, Tick, Tick, Boom, directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, coming to um, Netflix and theaters this November. Um, Which I'm very excited about. I'm very intrigued by um, and the other Jonathan Larson musical, and this time making it more of a direct uh, um, biopic. Um, and uh, this isn't a film musical, but um, I feel like I have to mention that uh, the pro shot of Come From Away was just released on Apple TV. Um, <laughs> and that is a very, that is a very lovely show that from the premise you think might not work, but I think it really, really does. Um, and that's like a very, it's a very well done show and you should check that out as well. If I remember correctly, didn't it, isn't that the, the musical that lost to Dear Evan Hansen? It is. It is one of the shows that lost to Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> <laughs> and it came out this, and that pro shot um, was praised the same day that Dear Evan Hansen's review started trickling in. I love the pettiness. Uh, which, which, which reminds me, um, in wh whether we actually cover it um, on, a, on our next episode or not, in some in some capacity, I will be talking about Dear Evan Hansen on the site, whether it's wh whether it's a straight written review or it happens to come up in conversation on the next um, mental health checkup. I will have some thoughts, so that's something to look forward to, for better or for worse. Oh hell yeah! Um, but for now. That brings this episode to a close. Um, before we get out of here, um, Josh, where can everyone find you online? And there were some dizzying highs, terrifying lows, and creamy middles in the in, in this whole thing. Um, you can find me on Twitter at JSH Lozano, where I regularly simp for actress uh, Amelia Clark, Daniela Melacquire and also get into fights with my British friend, Kat, who abandoned me to watch Cinderella by myself, bitch. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube at JoshBoy64, where you can watch the best video that barely anybody has seen as part of last month's uh, attempt to do DC Defined where I did a complete history on the Blue Beetle character, as well as a love letter to the history of El Paso. It's probably the best thing I think I'll ever make for my channel. It's all downhill from here. So please check out my dizzying high. And uh, you can also find me on Facebook in the Renegade Pop Culture Facebook group. 
Instagram at Joshua Lozano 64. And you can find me on the website, occasionally writing Hugo award worthy reviews for Cinderella adaptations. Indeed. Crystal, where can everyone find you? Me, you can find me wallowing in shame that just the fact that the Cinderella movie exists uh, on Twitter under simply underscore ragu816. You can also find me under the same handle on, on TikTok. And you can also find me on the Renegade Pop Culture uh, group on Facebook under my name, Crystal Gillum. That's about it. And Hayden? You can find me on Twitter at the Hayden Wilder. Jacob? You can find me on Facebook on Twitter at Joe Crable, K-R-E-H-B-I-E-L. I'm also part of the Renegade Pop Culture Facebook group, and I have my own letterbox account, Dreamin' Demon. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. Find me in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. You can check out Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. You can also find us on Podchaser. Listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. Need escape? So do we. That'll do it for this episode of the Renegade Marquee. Thank you guys for joining, and we will catch you guys later. Peace out. Bye. Bye. Bye.